Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today, we're talking about the Global Outlook Report for 2018, and our guest is Richard Leggett. He's the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, which is a leader in providing actionable intelligence on international markets, basically to companies expanding into and operating around the world. Welcome, Richard, and thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, it's great to be with you and, and great to be back uh, with you, actually, because this is our second time doing this. So it's great to have, uh, have a, return, uh, a return visit. Absolutely. I really would like to make this somewhat of a regular occurrence because what's so great about your reports is that they really are um, forward-looking and they help companies make better decisions. And, and, I, you know, and I know we use them, and so I would love to share that with our listeners as well. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about this specific report that we're going to be talking about and, and share your insights a little bit for, you know, how do large and smaller companies then use this information to make their business decisions? Sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, at the, at, the, at the core of any, um, any set of business decisions, there needs to be a strong understanding of the canvas that you're painting on. Uh, and so to some extent, our global outlook uh, report is one of our, uh, our core flagship pieces that basically provides that global canvas of what the outlook looks like for business conditions. Uh, and, you know, we look at business conditions as defined through the external lens, first and foremost, the macroeconomic, the geopolitical, uh, socio-demographic, and then translate that to strategies for success and, and initiatives that should be prioritized. And I guess our, our general belief um, as a company that uh, has done everything we've done purposely built for supporting executives that are uh, operating in, uh, in, in international markets is that success uh, in any given year or over, over a period of years is a combination of, of executing your high-priority initiatives uh, and also getting your high-stakes markets correct. And uh, a big function of that is understanding and setting realistic expectations, pressure testing your strategic planning assumptions, and then making sure that you have alignment am amongst all your stakeholders internally and externally, and that you're mar monitoring markets on an ongoing basis to make sure that those conditions haven't changed. And that, you know, typically when... Uh, when uh, We've seen companies uh, underperform. It's been a, a function of some sort of disruption, whether that's an external disruption. So we've had lots of those over the last year and, and over the last uh, several years. Um, or it can be a business model disruption uh, or a technological disruption. So think about Uber or think about companies that are disrupting um, traditional business models through technology, digital strategies, and that sort of thing. So it's important to uh, be tracking all of these things as part of your ongoing uh, work processes uh, to, to ensure that you can get those high priority initiatives right, and and also make sure that your higher stakes markets um, that you have a full understanding of what's happening and you're ahead of the curve for any potential disruptors. So we have listeners all around the world, and frankly, a lot of these companies are going into a variety of different markets. And while we're going to go ahead and go into some of those, you know, key markets and dive a little bit deeper, what I'd love to hear 
before we do that is what are some of the macro trends? I mean, you had talked about all the different types of disruptors and what are you seeing as some of the bigger things that we should look forward to or at least be aware of in 2018? Yeah, it's really interesting that um, for the first time in a, in a number of years, we have a, a global growth uh, outlook that looks pretty stable and also looks pretty broad-based in uh, across regions and across developed markets and emerging markets. It's not a robust growth story, but it is a uh, it is a growth story, and it's one that is uh, fairly stable. Um, and the risk of that is that you potentially could become complacent. And so our, our headline for our global outlook is to avoid complacency in a, in a reviving global economy. And I think that tells a good story. Um, there are three, I think, key uh, trends at the macro global level that I would start with. And then we can dive into some of the regions if you want. Um, so the first is that we have seen uh, developed markets essentially um, recovering. And then what, what, that, what, what that's leading to is emerging markets continuing to recover. And so that's driving a lot of the, the global, stable global growth outlook. The thing we have to watch closely is China, which is growing rapidly still, but decelerating growth. And so we have to be careful of keeping an eye on that. And also um, it will provide some limit to significant upward pressure. And the de developed markets, we think, continue to provide economic stability, but there are lots of internal you know, po po policy and politics and uh, potential disruptors um, that are cross-border, such as global trade, uh, that we have to keep a close eye on. So those are the, those, that, that's why we talk about avoiding complacency, because it's, it's a steady and stable growth environment, but one that's not built on particularly strong foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And and you had mentioned, you know, China is such a big impact that, you know, how they always said that about America, when America sneezes, the world gets the cold. Um, and we have a similar situation with China. While it may not be a major shift downward, the impact will be felt, right, everywhere. That's right. Um, you know, I think Asia Pacific in general is the fastest growing region and will remain the fastest growing region. But um, you know uh, the China, the size of the Chinese economy, and the um, you know I think the, the 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 fact that it is slowing down, and that once we get through the um, uh, the the government um, kind of uh, uh, Congress that's taking place right now, will be on the other side of that. Um, it'll be interesting to to watch uh, to see how uh, the the. The, the economic landing is ma managed if it continues to be a, a good soft landing that they've done a good job managing so far, or if there are any kind of disruptors or, or, or hiccups in all of that. You know, this is not really part of the Global Trends Report, but I was, or the Global Outlook Report, but, you know, someone as knowledgeable in this as you are, are you quite bullish about the positive outcome on these trade negotiations? Do you feel really good that they're going to, one, get accomplished and to be something that everyone can work with? Um, are you referring to NAFTA or are you referring to kind of China, China-U.S. trade negotiations? You know, initially I was thinking China-U.S. I imagine there are going to be some significant changes in NAFTA, but I was really thinking yeah. about China-U.S. Yeah, maybe we'll cover NAFTA in a, in a little bit because between uh, Latin America and North America, I think that'll be an, an important factor. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I am optimistic because I think that while um, uh, while 
there are definite definite imbalances and definite uh, a lot of a lot of unpredictable rhetoric coming from the um, the, the Trump administration. Um, I also think that um, China and the U.S. need each other uh, tremendously right now as it relates to global uh, security in that region, and so I think that that should take a priority over any trade wars. I mean, a trade war uh, in the midst of, uh, of, of kind of needing each other from a, a security perspective, um, I think would be a foolish uh, outcome. But uh, again, we have a very unpredictable administration, so we've got to watch it closely. But I, I think it, it, it won't be, uh, certainly from the rhetoric we were hearing in the election to where we are today, I feel like it's a, it's a more positive uh, sentiment around it. Thank you for sharing. So one of the things I'd like to do is, is, you know, let's do touch on each of the different um, kind of regions, if you will. And I'd love for us to take a look at a couple of different things. You know, what are the top trends? What do you see as some risks for the region? And then, you know, some opportunities that you think businesses should really look into or look at a little bit closely. So, you know, the one that we've already touched on a few times is Asia. So why don't we jump into that and share a little bit about what you see? Yeah. So in, in terms of Asia, you know, we, we continue to look as you look across the global growth map, Asia will remain, uh, you know, really the world's key growth engine or one of the world's key growth engines driven more so by emerging uh, Asia than by developed Asia, although we see positive uh, growth um, in both uh, both of the developed Asia, um, both in developed Asian markets as well as emerging Asia, and emerging Asia really, you know, driven by China, and we continue to look, uh, our base case assumption is China continues to grow, albeit at a slightly slower pace than before. I think next year our forecast is 6.2 percent versus uh, what we think this year will end up being 6.6 percent, and with maybe an increased risk profile. Um, in terms of, uh, again, this, this uh, cloud of a potential hard landing. Um, we also see uh, a lot of growth in India, um, but there are challenges there in terms of the GST reform uh, and the GST implementation, um, and that will uh, create, a, in, at least in the near term, a period of increased costs for companies uh, doing business in the market, and that will weigh a little bit on investment. Um, but longer term, you know, we continue to see India being very robust. And then, you know, we also see tremendous uh, and persistent growth in the ASEAN markets. Um, integration slow, integration efforts proceeding slowly, but generally really uh, solid, uh, solid growth uh, in those markets. And so um, that's kind of the growth picture in terms of some of the, the trends that we have to watch that are, you know, some are risks and some present opportunities. I think one of the obviously, you know, the the elephant uh, or the gorilla in the room is the conflict uh, uh, risk in uh, in North Korea, um, and that obviously is one of these uh, events that you have a hard time putting any sort of probability predictability. And and if something like that happens, obviously it dramatically changes uh, the entire uh, global supply chain picture and. Uh, significant risks everywhere. So, you know, that's almost something that its own, it's its own podcast and its own topic, but it's something you have to watch. Um, and likewise, you mentioned that the, the question about U.S.-China trade. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think those uh, issues can become um, more prevalent depending on how the, the Korean uh, situation plays out. 
um, but there will be you know increasing rhetoric and friction but but uh, you know our hope is that there's not significant uh, damage uh, on the opportunity side the belt and road initiative that China is driving is uh, going to definitely reshape investments and uh, and create a lot of opportunity for uh, multinationals but it also creates a lot of opportunity for local Chinese companies and so the competition there is, is intense and localization and local competition is quite a, an important global theme as well so and I mentioned the GST those are kind of the big themes that we're, we're, we're tra- tracking in the region if you will mm, absolutely very interesting so Jumping down a little bit, or um, how about the, actually up in this case, but how about the Middle East and um, I think also North Africa? There's a lot of activity there as well, isn't there? There is. And, you know, this is this has been an interesting region that's going through a tremendous amount of change. And, and you know, it, it, it's a region that, you know, was one of the fastest growing regions um, and is uh, a region that is going to uh, continue to uh, struggle uh, next year. Um, we, we do think there will be uh, a period of recovery uh, because, you know, I think the new the new reality of, of oil prices and the diversification of some of these economies um, and some stability that, that is happening, kind of recovery, if you will, from the, the shock of the oil price collapse. Um, but for the most part, this is a region that is going to be a um, a tough region for multinational companies uh, in terms of operating challenges. Um, you have, I think, the uh, end customers feeling the effects of, of some of the difficult reforms that were put in place in uh, 2017 and that will play out throughout 18. There's a lot of regulatory uh, pressure in terms of localization, um, and I think that uh, that will uh, continue, and it just makes it tougher for uh, multinationals. The, the playbooks that it succeeded in the past uh, need to be rewritten um, uh, for the future. Uh, still great opportunity, great, great, um, you know, gr- great wealth in these markets, but, but tougher, tougher sliding uh, ahead. So, you know, you think about rising operating costs, um, the need to shift uh, the customer value perception, which is something that hasn't been a big issue in this region in the past, um, and more competition um, will, will, will all be big, big, big drivers. You know, the Middle East keeps coming up as one of the top areas for, com- you know, the, that companies are learning, wanting to learn about and expand into. So I I appreciate that there are going to be some significant new challenges. You know, that's fascinating in how they're so far ahead and yet also so traditional at the same time, which is a really unique business environment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think it, I think, you know, before we had the oil price correction, um, there was, um, as, as a multinational, I think the uh, region was was super attractive because it was less price sensitive. It was growing rapidly. Uh, it was very uh, friendly, uh, you know, to, to Western companies. Uh, the reality is that the oil, you know, that the oil price um, collapse and you know the 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 impact of, of that to, to budgets and the need to diversify the economies um, in order to, to continue to provide the same um, level of social um, programs uh, that that uh, you know basically the um, uh, locals expect it, it, it does change the operating environment and the operating conditions so it's a it, it's a tougher place to enter today than um, than it was in the past and it's much tougher to 
um, succeed and, and, and achieve scale and profitability. This doesn't mean it can't be done, and there are lots of pockets of opportunity, um, but you've got to pick your spots really, really carefully. So we would argue that you know, when, when thinking about the Middle East, one, think about it as a prioritization exercise, maybe looking across other high potential markets. And then secondly, if, if the answer still points to the Middle East, make sure you pick your, uh, your, your spots very carefully and, uh, and, and, and thoughtfully. Well, and the nice part is, is your report can really help guide some of those evaluations and, you know, kind of doing that analysis, if you will. That's right. And we have also a lot of tools and a lot of methodologies around, you know, specifically around prioritizing markets, not only across a global portfolio, but within countries as well at the subnational level. That's a really important theme, because if you recall from our last couple of years of discussions on this topic, it's been all about finding your pockets of opportunity. And I don't think that theme changes. And the way you find those pockets is really drilling down, uh, not at the country level, but but down at the, at the more uh, granular level subnationally. Which is unique, right? We see a lot of companies, when they decide to go somewhere, expand their business, they think of the expansion with these kind of huge macro territories, if you will, but there's really no way of doing that well, right? Ultimately, you really do need to become familiar with the local kind of areas that are going to be more suited to your business, just like you would do with your home country, but all of a sudden, there, there's going to be this realization that that same strategy needs to apply for their international business as well. That's right, and I think the you know I think what's important is thinking about it in a tailored way for their, your specific business. And so the conventional wisdom might say, uh, I'm going to enter uh, China, and uh, therefore I want to be in Beijing or I want to be in Shanghai mm-hmm. or you know pick a pick a, a high profile uh, city, and that that may that may be logical. Um, but if you look at, if you start to consider my my industry, the competitive landscape, the China, you know, what China is going to look like post, you know, uh, its urbanization plans, you know, where the super clusters are going to be, um, you know, five, ten years from now, and you start to map that out, you might you might come out with a different picture, you know, and and the same goes for almost every uh, of the every one of the big countries. And so, you know, taking that extra step, I think, and validating it using data, a combination of uh, empirical data that's, you know, tailored around the drivers of your, your, your industry and or your product segment and marrying that with a, uh, a good assessment of your ability to execute the competitive landscape, the operating environment, and putting those things together is something that I would uh, love to, uh, you know, uh, suggest that any, any executive thinking about expansion uh, does as a first step. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. It can be done with uh, tools and with data and some very simple um, uh, approaches and frameworks, but it will give you that uh, conviction and courage of your conviction, if you will. Right, absolutely. That is absolutely the right approach. Um, Let's jump up to Europe. Let's split it up into Central and Eastern and Western, since I think there's some pretty big differences trend-wise and risk-wise as well. Absolutely. You want to start Central? Sure. So yeah, I think we're we're pretty uh, bullish on the Central European markets. We th- we see essentially a, a resilient growth environment, and also somewhat uh, isolated from some of the bigger negative uh, risks, if you will, that are are on the global scale. Um, and there's good private and public demand uh, momentum. 
uh, and uh, I think also consumers are benefiting from lower prices and uh, rising wages and, and falling unemployment. So it's a uh, you know generally if we look at all of our the drivers of our forecast, we see uh, almost all of them are are, are positive. I think the uh, biggest risks come from uh, each country's domestic political issues, and uh, and those always uh, merit watching. But for the for the most part, we see you know, firm consumer demand and good government spending. Uh, and it's one of the best investment targets uh, for, uh, you know, uh, we think in, in the European market. Um, so um, all of that's quite good. Absolutely. You know, you had mentioned the local political environment. Are you seeing this sort of maybe more nationalistic sort of, in you know, internal facing and looking approach? worldwide or is it really just somewhat in some European countries and in the U.S. or is that even like is that a global phenomenon I'm just curious I think it's um, I think it's it's mixed and I think it and I think certain uh, regions ha are more susceptible um, and others are and within even certain regions there's more susceptibility uh, to it I think you know we're, it was funny I was just at um, our, our one of our executive roundtable events in London Two weeks ago, it was for our EMEA executives. So the the you know heads of heads of EMEA from uh, co co companies in all different industries, and I always uh, give the opening remarks. And one of the things I always do is dust off my opening remarks from the prior year. And you know one of the things I I talked about was you know last year at this time we um, we were pre-Trump, so we didn't see that uh, that that hadn't happened yet. But we were post-Brexit, and uh, and we had a slew of European elections on the horizon over the next 12 months, and uh, with lots of populist rhetoric happening. Mm -hmm. And then when Trump happened, you started to really worry that, gosh, this could really go the wrong way in every one of these countries, and a lot of the progress uh, that it, you know promotes uh, much more uh, global uh, trade and that sort of thing would would um, would go against uh, against us. But in Europe, they pretty much fought it fought it back and and you know even in a post-trump uh, environment so in many ways um you know one could think that seeing the trump um situation play out in the u.s and the aftermath of that might have actually created a, a a positive moment for europe and allowed more um you know more traditional uh uh, uh policies to to prevail which is which is encouraging so something we have to keep a close eye on and i think there's still a lot of that rhetoric and we've got to watch it closely especially if there are security risks and those sorts of things um but so far i think you know europe has, has withstood it pretty well are you seeing in central europe um where they're mostly bought into the eu as a concept or are you seeing some kind of concern around that in any way uh i think it's a trend we're watching kind of the general eu um, a friction between the EU uh, and and some of the governments, the Polish government, Hungarian government, and obviously there's um, you know there's I think a very tense situation with uh, with Turkey, given everything that's going on in Turkey. So that's probably the biggest set of risk factors, and that's that's what I talk about with domestic political issues. But for the most part, um, that that's the main risk that we have to keep a close eye on. Mm, all right, that's that's wonderful. Um, what about Western? Yeah, so Western Europe is um, is also uh, improving fundamentally. I mean, again, kind of considering where we where we've been, uh, I can't believe that I'm excited to say that we see kind of stable one point, 
you know, eight, 1.7, 1.8% growth. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but given, you know, what, what, where we were, uh, I think we continue to see improving economic conditions and very positive political developments that occurred throughout this year, which I think is creating a, a some sense of optimism, uh, a stronger um, set of indicators with consumer demand, stronger set of uh, investment indicators as well. Um, and that's a good good outlook. So I, I think all of that's positive. Um, the banking system, which has been a, a huge um, uh, albatross, I think, uh, uh, in terms of growth for business, is improving. It's not, you know, lending is not exactly um, at full strength, but I, I think it, it is a, it is an improving um, uh, improving. Maybe not at the pace we would like to see. Um, uh, so that's one thing to keep an eye on, and government spending is still going to stay uh, fairly low. So, uh, for the most part, we feel um, reasonably good. Obviously, um, you know, Brexit is this dark cloud hanging over everything, but that essentially is um, is something that is t- going to take longer, and we're uh, you know moving towards a you know transition deal. So I think that the um, you know that overhang isn't as big of a, a near-term risk as uh, as it as it could have been. Um, and then you've got you know you've got a cross currents of you know reform in uh, in France. Uh, you've got Italian elections that are probably the biggest thing that everybody needs to keep their eye on to make sure. Back to your comment about the populist uh, movements. I mean, there's a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of concern about how the Italian elections play out. And so we've got to watch that one probably uh, the, the closest. Um, and then and then it's your classic, uh, um, you know, then everything else is, is fairly classic for now. Do you see some of the trade uh, negotiations impacting? I know that there's certainly been some rhetoric between the U.S. and Germany and, and not as much with some of the other countries. But I'm just wondering if you see any of the trade negotiations impacting those relationships as well. I think we're less, you know, I think in the grand scheme of, of trade, uh, where, where the biggest risk for trade is, I think we're less worried about that than we are, in, uh, you know, and in, in let's say the uh, the lightning rods of China and or, or NAFTA is kind of where the where the most rhetoric and the most focus seems to be right now. So we're not we're not that's not something that's showing up as a major issue on our on our red flag. Um, I think what you might start to see, which could you know we have to keep a close eye on, is just the monetary policy of the ECB is in in terms of the impact that that will have because it's been a very um, you know it's been a very loose policy as we know and and we expect it to stay that way. But I think you know, as uh, as uh, as recovery improves, I think there will be a lot of pressure, especially driven from Germany, to tighten policy. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Something to look for. Well, let's jump over to the Americas. Um, we can start with either. I think Latin America is probably where things are hottest right now. Um, so maybe yeah. we go through Latin America and then we can jump up to North America from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, Latin America is, um, you know, again, I think uh, somewhat of a similar story uh, that you know that that um, that we we had in Europe, which is an improving you know improving growth uh, outlook, uh, economic recovery. Really, in um, Brazil, which is 36% of LATAM's GDP, and so we see you know Brazil recovering, and that's you know that that that's um, a very good uh, uh, rising tide, if you will, for. For Latin America, um, essentially lifting regional growth uh, 
to um, 2.6%, essentially doubling uh, because we were in such a, a slump uh, over the last two years. Um, and so part of that uh, story, a lot of that story driven out of Brazil, uh, which then leads to uh, increasing consumption. So we see that as, po uh, as a positive trend um, because we, we also uh, view lower inflation and interest rates across most of the markets. Um, low commodity prices, uh, I think, will still have their, their persistent impact on government budgets. And so that makes, you know, dealing with uh, the government tougher. And, you know, that's a trend that our, our companies have had to deal with for some time. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you basically have an improving Brazil. You see an Argentina also uh, continuing on a path towards more sustainable growth uh, through some of the structural reforms. Um, and then you have Mexico, which is, you know, probably the market that we've got to watch um, most closely because you've got a combination of NAFTA uh, going on uh, in terms of NAFTA renegotiations and, um, and then presidential elections in July. And so, um, Mexico is in this kind of uh, near-term um, period of uncertainty, and I think that will hamper how companies approach Mexico until they get some better visibility and stability there um, in the second half of next year. But um, but you know we also view Mexico as being reasonably stable. It's just not going to be um, you know until we until we get through some of this uncertainty. I think that's the that's the story there. So the big trends we're watching NAFTA. Obviously, is uh, is probably the biggest uh, biggest one, um, but the uh, presidential elections, especially uh, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, um, and Brazil's recovery, as I mentioned, uh, Argentina's um, recovery driven by uh, Macri's uh, reforms, and he's got a second wave uh, coming as well, um, and then uh, and then you know some of the smaller markets, um, uh, you know, we definitely. Yeah, are also uh, pretty positive on. I mean, Central America and the Caribbean are some of the faster-growing LATAM markets, albeit they're small. Uh, and Colombia feels like it's uh, going to be reasonably uh, stable, uh, driven by, um, you know, uh, hopefully uh, economic policy uh, co continuity. So really, some great news and and good opportunities coming out of Latin America this for this forecast. I think so. I think we, I think we have to be careful with all of these forecasts of improved growth. Uh, if I was a, if I was an operating executive, it's just managing reasonable expectations because I think the expectations um, could could be ahead of the ability to deliver against them, and uh, and certainly in uh, Latin America, which has a lot of uh, exposure to uh, China and Chinese demand and commodity prices, we you know. We, we need to make sure that there's there's always an eye on what's happening globally, even though um, you're you're operating in Latin America. But Latin America feels like it's in a better it's in a better place, and uh, in, in, in the outlook for 2018 um, uh, is, is a good one. And there, and there there could also be some pent up demand, uh, which I think is uh, is good. And and for most uh, U.S. based companies, um, it's a natural uh, expansionary market to think about Latin America as a as a you know, reasonably uh, geographically close market to do business in. Absolutely. There is a lot of interest. I think that the companies that I know that we've worked with have had some concern about kind of the business friendliness of the of the country, you know, the ease of being able to do business, and then, of course, some of the political people. But trend-wise, that sounds very encouraging. Yeah, but that's that, that's Latin America in general. I mean, that's that, right. That, 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 that storyline has been the storyline for 50 years. But I think, but I think you're right. You have to pick your spots, and you have to, 
it's the same theme we talked about uh, in terms of picking your pockets of opportunity um, and uh, and being patient because Latin America is a market that does require patience and um, and it is very um, it will it will have its ups and downs and and uh, those that stick around and endure usually grow share and those that uh, come and go are usually the ones that uh, don't don't make don't make a lot of money and and uh, don't don't build a lot of uh, of, of loyalty uh, brand loyalty. Right, it's it's definitely one of the challenges of of especially you know U.S. and even somewhat European com- companies where it's kind of always looking at that next quarter where these are long term plays, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. And I think, you know, and I think there are markets that are, are easier markets to do business in and there uh, and, and markets where you can be more profitable. But it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, you just got to pick your spots. That's it. Let's uh, let's jump up to North America. What's happening there from a trend and risk and opportunity perspective? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I sit in Washington, so um, you know, you can, you, you, <laughs> I, I haven't checked my Twitter lately to know right. exactly what's happening in terms of risks. But uh, but in general, um, all kidding aside, we, you know, we we I think we're not out of line with the consensus in that we see um, reasonably uh, stable growth. Uh, so you know, two, our, our forecast next year is two point three percent um and we kind of think that that's a reasonable place to be uh both for uh, the US and and Canada I think um uh you know we see um in in general um uh stability uh, and at the same time um not a whole lot of movement in terms of some of the um legislative reforms especially in the US that we we would hope for that would maybe drive stimulus so in infrastructure, you know, failure on healthcare, uh, unclear if uh, tax, uh, you know, if tax cuts will will be coming. So any of these stimulus measures that you hope could be uh, potential near-term growth accelerators seem to be continuing to get pushed pushed off. Um, and then you know, and then you have the NAFTA renegotiations, and and those are, um, you know, potentially could be quite positive uh, for the U.S. and for Canada if if uh, if. Done appropriately, but uh, again, as we know, these negotiations can take time and can create uh, uncertainty in the near term. So, um, so you've got kind of the trade trade picture, you've got the internal stimulus picture, um, and then you've got uh, you know some other other things that all kind of drive uh, potential for the U.S. Obviously, the we talked about uh, North Korea. I think that continues to be an overhang. We talked about U.S. China. Trade tensions, which is somewhat intertwined with you know the North Korea um, uh, risk situation, and then you have some internal things like uh, who is Trump going to appoint to the uh, chair, to be the cha- next chairman of the of the Federal Reserve, and what does that mean in terms of monetary policy and that sort of thing. So, um, but all in all, uh, you know I think it's a pretty stable growth picture. And if a couple of these stimulus things come through, and a couple and, and, and the NAFTA uh, renegotiation goes the right way, you could have some upside bias, but you could equally uh, be be treading water. Very interesting. So I think last, certainly, but certainly not least, uh, we had we were going to talk a little bit about the sub-Saharan Africa as well. You know, that's certainly that's an area that I have to say that I'm least familiar with. I find yeah. it fascinating, and I certainly look forward to learning more. But I pay so much more attention, I think, to maybe more of the traditional trade markets. So this is a it's fun to learn for me as well. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. So at this event I was that we hosted for uh, EMEA executives that I mentioned in London, if, if you were at that event four years ago, five years ago, um, everybody wanted to do wanted to attend the breakout on Sub-Saharan Africa, and it was all part of I think this Africa Rising um, uh, headline, right? And and what happened since has been uh, with the oil price correction. You've seen you've seen the um, uh, and not to mention, you know, various and sundry, uh, you know, political risks and those types of things. But you've just seen the region lose its luster a little bit uh, in terms of the importance and the interest in the near term for uh, many of our of our clients. There's no disputing the long term potential. It is a, um, you know, it is a massive uh, growth horizon. But in the near term, I think we we basically you know, uh, have a lot of our, of our clients are, are, if they're in the region, they remain committed to the region. If they're not in the region, I don't think it's necessarily being prioritized, uh, as, as the highest priority, uh, even across EMEA or globally. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting time right now. I think, um, I think long-term there's no doubt there's a massive opportunity and we put out a, uh, and maybe it's a topic for a future podcast. We put out a fascinating report on really redefining what the African, African consumer class looks like because we think that part of the reason that it hasn't developed is that it's been misunderstood and you've got to really understand the the consumer and you've got to understand how to reach that consumer and that's a very different set of strategies than uh, were traditionally um, uh, approached. So in general, we we think the region's growth will be better than it was in uh, 2017. Well, we think that's driven by stability of commodity prices, some better agricultural performance uh, in the agricultural sectors, very big part of the economies, uh, slightly higher investment levels and, and less currency volatility, but the business conditions are challenging. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's what is putting some, some fear in, uh, in some of our clients in terms of prioritizing, uh, and prioritizing the, the, the region. And then obviously within the region, there's 54 countries. And so, um, again, that sub, you know, sub, sub regional and, and then within those countries, sub national approach is quite important, uh, based on your, uh, if you're interested in that market, where, where to pick your spots. Yeah, it is. It's a challenging market to understand because, again, there isn't very much familiarity and it requires having partners that can really navigate you through this, um, you know, such as you with your report. The information. And also local partners on, I'm sorry, just I was right. going to say also local partners on the ground, right, in order to um, right. to really understand and get close to, to get close to your customers. And so um, one of the big themes that we um, we talk about in terms of business strategies is, is really effectively managing. Uh, yeah, most of our clients. Uh, in fact, I think the statistic is 63% uh, of our client revenue. Um, when we look across our entire client base, 63% of our client revenue comes through indirect channels. Right? They, they have distributors or they have uh, other types of channel partners, and really working with those channel partners. Uh, one in selecting the right partners, and then two, really working to um, assess and improve their capabilities in a, in a market that's more com in markets that are more competitive, where growth isn't just uh, a sure thing, is is a is, is a total corporate uh, imperative and mandate, strategic uh, mandate for for this year. I think that's an excellent place for us to kind of recap everything. So within the report, let's talk a little bit just more specifically about the report itself. So when someone gets it, it's a pretty, it's a rich and information rich report. Now, 
What is your advice for, you know, how do you strategically prioritize? How do you think companies could approach this information in really more of a methodical way to just make use of it for their business? You know, what what do you see companies typically doing with all of it? Because like I said, it's it's a really rich report. Oh, yeah, I know. And thank you. I mean, it's uh, and, and I know that sometimes can become really overwhelming. And that's, um, you know, I think partially that's why we try to organize our reports in, in a way that always uh, starts with looking at the external picture and trying to, you know, apply it in a in, a, in business, uh, in business language and business terminology, and then answer that. So what now what question about, okay, well, what does this mean in terms of my business strategy and strategies for success? So the first half of our report is is that regional outlook and providing key trends and the growth outlooks. And I think that's really useful for pressure testing. Uh, when you're thinking about your strategic planning assumptions and what is that canvas that I'm painting on, as we said in the beginning, the second half of the report is all about strategies for success and and you know how to prioritize, um, how to how to how to against that backdrop be successful in terms of uh, you know what are the most important strategic priorities around your your planning and your market prioritization. So we we hit a couple of these like. Um, localization is an important theme, um, given some of the, the policies that are taking place locally, uh, subnational prioritization, uh, and, and really looking at your portfolio that way. Um, and then thinking about value proposition and how you execute commercially. So a big theme uh, in the coming year you'll see from us is around digital strategies. A lot of our clients are looking at how to win with digital strategies in these markets, which is a great, great equalizer, right? Um, how do you uh, improve your value proposition? Increase your the value of your product so that it's you're not in a uh, pricing and in, in a hyper competitive market. You don't want to always be in a price war. You want to you want to differentiate with value added services and then also the service wrapper that you put around it with how you manage your your channel partners and the, you know those those are often your representatives locally. How do you how do you ensure that they're optimized for capabilities? And then finally. It's really important, as we talked about at the beginning, around disruptors and how do you make sure that you're constantly creating the right uh, routines and the right dashboards, if you will, to monitor uh, potential disruptors and make sure that those don't um, that you, you, you're prepared for when they come. So, building dashboards and establishing quarterly business risk reviews uh, that that look at the external environment and and translate that to your business. Um, and, and having contingency plans, all of those things are strategies for success um, because uh, while we are, again, uh, more positive about the global growth and it feels like synchronized global growth, it's a fragile foundation and, uh, and you have to avoid complacency because um, we're not in, a, in, a, in a, lo- a low risk environment. So there's a lot of moving parts and I think building those routines will, will be quite helpful. And, and we're there to be helpful as a partner. Um, not only with written research, but with advice and with tools and, and, and all the like as well. Well, and one of the things that you've done with the Frontier, Frontier Strategy Group is made this Global Outlook Report for 2018 available for our members at a really special price so that small, medium enterprises, which is who primarily that you know the companies that we serve, can also get this information. It's not only um, something for large companies, so we want to make sure that you know, everyone knows that this is available now on the Glow Big website in the store, and we'll also be sending out an email to introduce it so that, you know, everyone can understand that. We are trying to make sure that this high-level information and all of these great resources that are typically really only available to kind of the, the top-tier companies are 
also available now for the SMEs that we serve as well. So we want to thank you for that. And Richard, I want to thank you as well for, you know, for joining us today. And we absolutely look forward to, you know, the next report and the next time that we get together, which is always wonderful to hear what's going on in the world. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and um, and look forward to continued collaboration and uh, look forward to the next time we, we get a chance to speak. Absolutely. All right. Well, listeners, we want to make sure that you go to globig.co for your Global Outlook Report for 2018. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Um, don't forget to join Globig for an abundance of free resources, training, planning tools, and access to vetted experts from around the world. Subscribe to this podcast channel for more international expansion podcasts. And we hope that you all go global and go big.